Welcome to the Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to episode 10 of the Real Birth Podcast. I can't believe it, but we are actually at the end of the first season. When I first started this passion project, I wanted to have 10 episodes or so to share with the world. And I thought to myself, if I can only put one season out there, and if only one person listens, then that's my dream fulfilled. But we're 10 weeks in, and not only have I received more listeners than I could ever imagine, from countries as far afield as America, Jamaica, India, Norway, and the Faroe Islands, I've also already got the next 10 stories lined up and ready to record with some incredible guests. So I'm going to be taking a short break now, probably around about four weeks, but I am very excited to officially announce that season two of The Real Birth Podcast is coming this spring summer. So keep your eyes out, please subscribe, um, and then you'll be the first to know. Today's episode is with Rhiannon. Rhiannon is a midwife and a hypnobirthing teacher. Having worked in the community midwife team, Rhiannon knew she wanted a home birth and she was passionate about breastfeeding her baby. Her story is a wonderful example of how plans don't always go the way that we want them to, but how making empowered decisions has the possibility of giving us back control and confidence in our birthing space. Something I really love about Rhiannon's story is how she transformed her feeding journey from what she had really hoped it would be to embracing her role as a full-time pumping queen. She fed not only her own baby, but she gave vital milk to a stranger's poorly baby too. I know you're going to absolutely love hearing Rhiannon's birth story. It's made even more interesting as she is a midwife who is now on the other side of birth. So without further ado, here she is to share her experience. Hi Rhiannon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's really lovely to have you here. First of all, would you be able to tell us a bit about you and your family and who you are? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Rhiannon. Um, I'm a midwife. I'm also a nurse. I've been a midwife for three years. Oh, come, yeah, three and a half years. No, coming up to four because it's 2022. Woof, where does the time go? I don't know. <laughs> um, a little bit about our family. So I live with my husband and my cat and our just one-year-old, Rowan. He turned one on Sunday and we had a big birthday party. We live in Margate. I'm currently not working as a midwife at the moment because I'm having a bit of time with Rowan because Jack and I did shared parental leave. So I actually went back to work at six weeks, uh, six months, not six weeks, six months. Um, and Jack took six months off. I gave as for feminism because I'm a feminist hero. That is I incredible. Gave, <laughs> gave some of my mat leave to Jack. So he took six months off and then I went back to work. Um, and now I'm just not doing much. Um, looking after the baby which is not and then um, I'm also a hypnobirthing teacher so I've been sort of trying to set up a bit of like a business in Margate with my friend who um, yeah and we do that together. So what did the journey towards becoming pregnant look like for you was that something quite intentional or how did how did that go for you? It was very very easy and I'm so I was so grateful for that I feel very very privileged for that so I mean Jack and I were supposed to get married in April 2020 so our wedding was cancelled um I know very sad and then but I was still sure that I wanted to have a baby because I was 30 31 and I was like I'm I'm ready now you know like I don't want to wait so even though we didn't get married I mean I wasn't waiting till then but I think Jack was a little bit you know I don't Mm. so when we didn't have our wedding I was like I still want to crack on and I convinced Jack it was going to take us six months. I was like, it's going to take us a really long time. And, you know, it's going to be really difficult. So we should start right now. Um, so I was very intense. And so I was working with a label at the time. And I asked one of the doctors to take out my coil. So we went into room seven, one of the label rooms. And they just whopped it out. My friend Kate held my hand. It was, a, it was at 11 p.m. on a night shift. A little bit quiet. And so, um, yeah, one of the doctors just whopped it out for me. And I kept I love, it. I love that. <laughs> Um, I was very relieved to have that go because it was not kind to me yeah and so then I was like Jack the coil's out I'm ready to rumble and then I've always been really like quite savvy with my cycles so um I knew when I was ovulating and all of that um jazz not like 
intense with temperatures or anything like that mm. but just like cervical mucus I just knew I was like I, I feel fertile and also Jack always seems to know when I'm ovulating because he's like your skin is extra smooth today and I'm like I must be ovulating and I normally am <laughs> yeah yeah there's definitely something um, in that yeah and then so yeah we, we had sex quite intensely over that like week and I was like fertile period let's crack on and then about three weeks later three two and a half weeks later my period was due the next day and I was like I'm pregnant I know it I know I am I just know it so I went and got a test um it was all after work and I did it and I peed on it and it just it got the x like I knew it would like I was just like it was like I could see it forward in time I was like and um and it was so I went in and I was like hello we're going to have a baby <laughs> oh my god so excited so happy and then I was like lol sorry I said it was gonna take six months <laughs> And then, yeah, so for like a couple of days, just when my period is due, I kept getting these like really, I don't even know what to explain them, like rushes of euphoria, like, wow, like it just, it was like a hormonal response. I'd like get a bit sweaty and I would just like have this like almost, not like an orgasm, but almost, you know, mm. like when it goes from like top to bottom. Yeah. Um, but that is the last time I felt good in my pregnancy. Oh, um, uh, that's that my goes. next question. How was your pregnancy? <laughs> oh my god man I hated it being pregnant I was vile I was miserable I felt like crap I was never sick I just felt like I was constantly hungover Mm. I hated it I was grumpy I don't know I must have been a really unpleasant person to be around and for that I say sorry to anyone that encountered me and there's such a sense of I can't run away from this like this is this is my body for the foreseeable and it's not like I can console myself with I'll be all right tomorrow (laughs) no no it just it felt never ending um and um emotionally I was really hit me hard um and that was something I never expected as well I didn't expect to like love being pregnant or anything but I never got that like connection I felt Mm. nothing I genuinely felt nothing so about halfway through I got I went to therapy and I was like I feel nothing for Mm. this whatever is there um and my therapist was absolutely amazing but she saved me honestly like going to therapy and pregnancy changed everything for me I remember I said I don't understand how I'm going to be a mother I don't I don't get it I can't see ahead how how do you how do you be a mum I don't love this Mm. creature and then she was like obviously you don't how could you be expected to have a connection to somebody you've never met before and then I was like oh oh yeah I haven't oh, actually ever met this baby it's just metaphorical them. no <laughs> I know I was like I don't know like it was just I think I sort of bought into the idea that you'd feel that magical connection and like everything would be like wonderful and I'd be like carrying the gift of life and I'd feel smug but I didn't I just felt like crap and I felt guilty and weird and disconnected did you find that working in the role that you were working in with you know new families pregnant people did you find that your pregnancy changed the way that you were at work or was it just totally separate for you no no it definitely I mean I'm completely a different midwife now having gone through pregnancy labor and birth I definitely felt like a sense of like solidarity with people and like whenever they found out you were pregnant because like obviously you can not show it I don't know like it's just like that that like connection I guess just like I feel you babes like yeah got you (laughs) Yeah, I got you. I get it, and I and I wonder whether it would like made them easier to say like I don't feel good, I don't feel great, and I'd make jokes like, "Isn't this the worst thing that's ever happened?" But it's supposed to be the best. And they'd be like, oh, "Yes, you know." <laughs> I'm kind of asking people as well what their preconceived notions of birth were before they entered into it for themselves. But I suppose for you, it's very different because that's your your day gig yeah. or night or night gig, I suppose, depending what so, shift you're on. Yeah. had the experiences that you had had during your work fed into the ideas for what you would want for your own experience yes absolutely so I was really lucky to be working with some really good friends and colleagues um some of my best friends who looked after me so I was caseloaded essentially all of my appointments were at home and I knew that building that trusting relationship was really really important for sort of feeling empowered I knew really early on that a home birth was what I was hoping for um and that's what I sort of planned for I had done so many home births it just felt like obviously I would stay at home I everything's fine I feel great and I did a few like rogue things as well like the hospital I was at they offer a routine 36 week scan that I declined 
And the reason for that was that it's actually not indicated. And I looked at the research and I was like, nah, I'm not having this. There's no reason for this. And they're really, they're doing it for like research purposes. And I'm like, that's great. But you're actually not explaining to women why you're doing those scans. It's not for them, really. Mm. I mean, they love it because who doesn't love a scan? But we were seeing so many small babies, two big babies that turned out to be normal sized and so many inductions going up and up and up. Mm. And I was like, um, if I'm measuring fine and my midwives palpate and they think this baby feels fine, what do I need to scan for? So I declined it. Yeah, so I did like a few things like that. I had a glucose tolerance test because um, I had like a fun history. And let me tell you, I'd never have one of those again because it's disgusting. I have heard it's pretty foul. Foul is the word. It is, I mean, sorry, everyone. I mean, there are some reasons that you should maybe if you have maybe gestational diabetes before good reason to have one but if they're offering them routinely yeah there's um I think there was a recent Cochrane review that came out about standardized kind of people just willy-nilly being offered a glucose tolerance test actually there's there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever to suggest that that's good for anyone's yeah my main beef with it is that they give you this disgusting sugar drink that so many people vomit they, they, I mean, I, you're in the building and there are so many people around you who have, have been sick, are going to be sick because they've drunk this supremely sugary drink that tastes horrific. And I'm like, surely you could get this with a bar of chocolate or a Coke or something. I don't know. So, yeah, I was a little bit rogue. But as a midwife, you can be a bit rogue, you know, because mm. you know the doctors and you go in and you're like, mm, I'm not going to do this. And they're like, OK, I don't know. I don't think I have real faith in midwifery skill and expertise. And I just didn't want to over-medicalize it because yeah. I, I don't know, it just felt, birth just feels like a very natural and normal and safe thing to me. And you've, so, you've witnessed it time and time again, being, being all those things. Perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Going yeah, perfectly and not, nothing to worry about, no problems. So yeah. yeah, I ordered my pool and I was being case loaded by my home birth team colleagues and they did get all my appointments at home with me oh. um, I want to give a big shout out to those gals so that's um if you keep this in I don't know um so that's Georgina and Katie who looked after me during my pregnancy and then later on we're going to do shout outs to the like birth midwives who were different but they were still my friends oh that is really wonderful that you knew I mean because that's a big issue at the moment isn't it as well like con- continuity of care so the mm-hmm. fact that you knew people must have been really reassuring for you yeah and like when I was about eight weeks I was like I need to know if it's twins because, you know, <gasps> I <just laughs> yeah. know. So I went into, so I popped up to the labor board and I asked one of the SHOs, one of the doctors, and I was like, can you just do a little quick scan just to see if there's one heartbeat? And he was like, yeah, go on then, but I'm not very good. And I was like, all I need is a heartbeat from you, babes. Okay. So we just went in and he was just like, and I was like, yeah, one heartbeat. And I was like, thank you and goodbye. <laughs> um, so <laughs> in and out. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great job to be pregnant in, I think, because everyone just gets you mm. and you're so well looked after by everybody. I mean, that should be the same for everybody, right? Yeah. But it's just like, it's being looked after by friends who, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it's lovely. And I can't fault any of the care that I had. It was absolutely gorgeous. So like person-centered and... Take me to the kind of final weeks of your pregnancy. How did that go? And did your labor start spontaneously? And how, how, did, how did all that crack on? I always thought to myself, you're going to go overdue because most people do. I don't believe in due dates anyway. Interestingly, my dates that I did myself and my scan dates matched up. So my due date was supposedly the 28th of February, which came and went and I was like, no worries. Got to 41 weeks and I was like, this is still super. I am smashing this, no problem. I was going on my crosswalks, you know, like taking myself around the park, like I don't want to be pregnant anymore. And I was hard to sleep and I had restless legs, shocking heartburn. I had a giant bottle of Gaviscon that I just swigged like nobody's business. And I was just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I got to 41 plus the night before I was like to Jack I can't do this anymore I, I can't do it and he's like okay so what do you want to do the thing with Jack is he is very he was very much led by me the whole way he was just like he trusted me and he was like whatever you want to do and however you want to do it I'll just come along with you he didn't have any strong opinions he didn't have any like fears or worries especially he just was he was just very like this is all you babe you know just do whatever and it was the night before I was 41 plus six and I was like I can't do this anymore I hate it I am miserable my mental health was declining a little bit as well like I was starting to feel really anxious just really like what's happening I had like three or four sweeps my friends came so they brought the gas and air with them because my friends are lovely but sweeps are horrible Mm. and my cervix was like nothing 
it was like long, thick, couldn't emit a fingertip, really far back. And every time they did it, they'd be like, it's a bit different. I'd be like, don't lie. He's <laughs> just trying to make me better. feel better. Yeah, like, and still at 41 plus like five or whatever, it was still nothing. And I was like, ugh, I'm not having any more of these. I hate them. Poor my friends. I really swore at them when they did them as well because I found them so uncomfortable. They were painful. And I don't think they should be like that. I think it's because my cervix was so far back and so thick and long that like doing a sweep was impossible. So they were trying to like really reach it and they couldn't. And I think if you've got like a semi-favorable cervix, if if, if you're on the cusp of labor anyway, yeah, yeah. then then they're going to be able to do it and it won't be as uncomfortable. But for me, I found it really awful. So much so that the idea of getting a smear test really freaks me out now. Mm. So I woke up that morning and I was like, I was 41 plus six. And I thought, I can't. I don't want to do this anymore so I texted my friends my friend Ella said I'm in triage today why don't you just come in and we can just have a chat about it and I texted my friend Georgina who was looking up to me and she was like so you know like let's talk about it so if you decide to have an induction then you know we can't do the home birth and I was like yeah obviously that make you know I get that but I would still like to use the midwifery dead suite then so I just went in and I was like I'm not gonna make any decisions I'm just gonna go in and like have a chat with Ella and like have an assessment like have a CTG see where I'm at just make sure everything's well so I did that and it felt good to be doing something it felt good to be like putting a plan in motion um I went in it was about two o'clock um I saw my friend Ella everything was really well baby was absolutely happy no problems we knew he was a boy because we'd found out at the 20 week scan yeah everything was fine Ella did a a little examination to see what's going on with myself she was like you know like I can't really do a sweep here she brought the doctor in to have a chat, which was the consultant. And she just was like, really like, here's the evidence. Here's what we know. You're a midwife. You know what you want to do. So what do you want to do? And I was like, I think I want to have an outpatient induction. I want to have the pessary in, go home. And by this time, I was outside of, guideline, outside of guidelines. Mm-hmm. So if I'd wanted the outpatient induction, I should have had it. I asked hospital at 41 plus 4 or 41 plus 5. So I was a little bit close for comfort for them. But they were like, do you know what? you know what you're doing so like we're happy to sign off on this Mm. again scare quotes and then the consultant was like but actually you didn't have your 36 week scan so could we just do a little one now to check the position and things like that like just make sure that there's not anything rogue going on and I was like yeah absolutely fine no problems scan they predicted 3.7 kilos I don't know how much that is in pounds I mean it's not not terrifyingly big uh and not not small so no, just a normal happy that's pretty thing. pretty regular yeah yeah and like fine like my like the fluid was normal and every all of the everything the stuff that they found they were like yeah this is fine and the dot and the consultant was like I'm really happy for you to go home just come back in if you're worried about anything so she put the propose in and did a sweep at the same time and she actually did a, a sweep as well mm. um and because doctor is a little I, I think that you're, if your friends are doing it to you they don't really want to be no. as maybe aggressive as they could be because they love you and they don't want to do that but the doc but the doc she was like are you happy for me to do a sweep and I was like go ahead do get it, it just get do in it. there um and she really swept mm. and then put the pessary in and then she was like okay go home come back in tomorrow same time tomorrow See, that's really interesting in that I have heard, obviously, that you can have an outpatient induction, but I just don't think it's very well known that that can Mm. happen. Uh, I think most people assume that you either kind of go into labor spontaneously or you have an induction in hospital where you are monitored and it's very medicalized. And Mm. it's really great that there's that midway point that you can. And I think sometimes you have to know about it to be able to request that in some uh, places hospital, it's very it's like one of the options so you're so great book, we say here is your options you know like home birth blah 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 this mm. this and that elective section whatever and then you say oh and this hospital we offer for you know low-risk women um you can have an outpatient reduction at whatever at this gestation normally um and then you come in you do what i did and then you go home that's um, so great yeah, it's just, it's the pessary. And obviously if they find anything or they're worried about you, you know, you pack your bags as if you're going to stay in. But um, yeah, so that's what I did. So on the way home, I went to acupuncture and that's actually what I didn't talk about in like the weeks leading up to it. So from around 36 weeks, I had lots of acupuncture for this back pain that I had. And then I had like birth preparation acupuncture and then I had induction acupuncture from around 40 weeks, um, which I absolutely loved. It was like my little me time. Mm. Um 
I had this really great acupuncturist. She was incredible. She was so reassuring and calming. And it's just, it was just a lovely thing that I did for myself. So on the way home from having the pessary in, I went to the acupuncturist and I was like, Deborah, dick me, sort me out. And on, as I was leaning over and she was putting the needles into the pressure points, I had my first contraction. And so that was, I mean, the pessary went in about 3.30ish, I think. I'm not very good with times. And I went in to see her at 4.30. So, and, and so it worked really quickly. So I started feeling like the tightenings. And like before that, I'd never had any Braxton Hicks. I'd had maybe one. I'd had nothing. So I was like, this is something. And I felt it really quite intensely right from the beginning. But they weren't, they were quite short. Um, so I walked back to the car. Um, and I got in and I was like, Jack, I think, I think things are occurring. No, I think it's happening. Let's go home and like vibe. And I was like really keen on staying at home for as long as I could. I was like, I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to be here. Well, let's create the nest. So we got a pizza. I had a glass of wine. Um, I had my furry lights up. I was like, I can't have my home birth, but I can have my early labor. Yeah, I was going to um, ask actually, yeah. with an outpatient induction, is, is it still advised not to have a home birth and still yeah. to, yeah, yeah. okay because you it's an artificial intervention yeah so you know there are there's like link to higher instances of x y and z i mean it's interesting isn't it because it's like if you stayed at home would you be less likely to have those things Mm. but it's like they haven't done any studies on whether outpatient inductions and home births work like they haven't so who knows maybe in the future maybe yeah so i was like right i'm gonna i'm gonna have my outpatient induction i'm at home i'm in my nest i'm gonna get into established labor and then i'm gonna go in and i'm gonna use them midriffy led suite that's my plan i have my friends on call i had people i knew and i was like i'm just gonna bring you all in and you're gonna come and look after me in the midwife led room i'm gonna have my pool birth it just won't be at home but i'm familiar with the environment i'm familiar with the people so it's gonna be great so my plan had already changed so I had my glass of wine, I'd eaten my pizza, I had like the low lights on, I was FaceTiming my friend Sophie, and like the contractions were coming on quite frequently. I was maybe having like four in 10, but they were really short. They only lasted about 30 seconds and they weren't strong at all. Like I was, could talk through them, but I was just really aware of them. I was just like trying to like get in the zone, you know, and it felt like it was really working. And I thought maybe this is going to be really fine. Like I'll just stay here and we'll see where we go. Then I, I don't know, I went off and did something and I came back and I like, I shifted and I felt the most almighty like pop and gush. My waters had gone and almost immediately, almost immediately, within 10 seconds, I had the most intense contraction that completely took my breath away. That was like, had me holding on, you know, and I was like, okay I just I'm gonna go to the loo and sit on the loo and just have a little look and put a pad in and all of that kind of thing knowing what to look out for knowing I'm looking for the right color like or knowing that I don't want to see bleeding all of that kind of thing just like midwifing myself a little bit mm. um so I went to the toilet and I sat on it but the contractions were coming so thick and fast and so intensely that I actually I began to panic and it's because they were too there were too many I was having maybe six in 10 minutes and they were really really intense they were all the way up my back and they were they just felt wrong and I don't know how Mm. to explain it and I felt wrong being at home and I was like so we started this induction I've got the pessary in so I took it out because I was in my head I was like these contractions are too many of them I'm what I would call hyper stimulating so Mm -hmm. you don't want that many you really only want four in ten four in ten is lovely perfect happy place but they were still quite short so intense that they I was like crying out but there were so many of them that I didn't have time to rest in between them so it was like sometimes less than a minute before the next one would come so it felt like a constant and then I became very 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 tense because Mm -hmm. every time I was like when they went I was like okay that's gone but then I was tensing for the next one because I knew it was going to come so quickly I don't feel good I I need to go in like Mm -hmm. either either things are happening really quickly and this baby is coming out of me right now or something's not not good So I made Jack take me in and (laughs) he was like afterwards, you know, like he says, you know, I'm like, how was I? Like, what was I like? And he was like, you were like a wild animal. I've never seen you like writhe around that much. Mm. You were sort of unstoppable. Yeah. It was like, I think it was quite scary for him. Mm. So he was driving. I just remember I was like holding on to the thing in the passenger seat and just like wailing. And I think by that time I had like panicked, I'd got myself into a panic. <laughs> Maybe if I had like consciously relaxed and tried to calm down, I would have been able to like, but I'd, 
I'd already got myself ahead if that makes sense I was already like something's wrong something's wrong something's wrong it's not right it shouldn't be like this because whenever I've seen birth it's a slow build-up it's Mm. not bam here you go have all of these and I knew six and ten was too many so I got myself up to the triage it was about it was only about 10 p.m so it hadn't been very long between like having the pestry in at like three three thirty ish yeah that's quick you know for it to be become that intense so I went in and then there was one of the team leader midwives one of the like the senior midwives there who I knew really well I was like Gloria hello I'm here it's me and she was like (laughs) and she did an assessment and I said I've taken the pessary out but it's not right you know and then I was about two centimeters so I'd gone from nothing to two in about seven hours not to two I'm not doing pretty you know for like early labor and I was like okay great so the baby's not coming but why am I having these insane contractions yeah Yeah. why is it so and it must have just been like hyper stimulation of the Mm. cervix so it was too much it was like either the hormone was too much from the pessary or like the acupuncture like tipped over the Mm -hmm. edge and they were still coming so thick and fast still quite short so they weren't really effective I don't Mm. think and they were all in my back and it felt like being like struck by lightning it literally felt like being struck by lightning and that's how painful it was for me for those contractions like I I wouldn't describe it as as anything else like they were really really painful and I wasn't what I expected and I was like I always thought I understand about contractions I know that it's like that like wave of energy I know you can like it's a lot of it it can be like getting your mind right but I just never had the opportunity to and I I couldn't so the gas and air did nothing for me not a beam Oh, God. No, I know. And I was like, what now? And I was like, Pethidin, hit me, me with the Pethidin, Gloria. Bring it, bring it, bring it. And I was like, great. What I'll do is I'll have the Pethidin. I'll feel fine. I'll go have a little nap down on the antenatal ward. And then I'll come back at like eight centimeters. Didn't take a single edge off. I, it did nothing for me, but make me feel spacey. So I just felt a little bit like in between the contractions, I was like, Ooh, I feel very funny right now and then I remember really clearly like when the contraction was on I just felt like I was really tense and obviously you know like I know about the fear tension pain cycle so I was scared so I was tense so the pain was more so it just kept going round and round and round so I was so tense but it sounded um, like you never had that respite to go right check yourself get yeah, yourself down you didn't get that opportunity and that's what you need is just a yeah you know, and- I just I could never get my head on ever the pethidin I couldn't get my head on because it didn't take the pain away but then during the time when it wasn't there I just felt a bit like and I remember feeling really like when the contraction wasn't there being just like oh that well this is going very interestingly isn't it you know like I felt very like two different me's like there's the me that was like having these like really intense contractions and there was the me that was like watching it all and like seeing Mm. it all happen from above and then so Gloria done the assessment and she thought she'd seen some meconium so baby poo and I was like, she showed it to me. And I was like, that just looks like brown blood to me. Like, I just think that's show. And she was like, no, I really think it's meconium. Obviously, she's a senior midwife. So I was like, okay, fine. And she was like, I think we should get you onto the label ward, get you on the monitor. Now you're going to be on the CTG monitor. Also, because you're protracting six in 10, you should be on the constant monitor. So let's get you in. Um, and I was looked after by Hattie. Uh, so big shout out to Hattie so her night shift was me and Hattie and somebody I knew as well so it was lovely they got me into the labor wardroom and Jack was then allowed in because all that time he hadn't been allowed in with me it was just me by myself oh so my I was there gosh. for an hour and a half in I hadn't even I hadn't even thought about that the fact that at yeah. that time he was just oh, waiting outside oh my goodness yeah um I don't know what he was doing just vibing vibing in the hot corridor so Jack had to wait outside and uh, yeah and, and, and uh, at what point do they kind of decide that he's allowed to come in? When you go into a labour room. So okay. then you're having like one-to-one care. Okay. So because you're then in the private room so that you're isolating. Contained. And this was pre-lateral flows. This was pre-all of that kind of thing. So pre-vaccinations, um, like all of that. So this is March 2021. Mm-hmm. So I'm 41 plus six, almost 42 weeks labor is now so far beyond my plan or my preferences that I'm just like whatever 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 occurs now occurs and it's sort of like 
it was like running ahead of me and I couldn't catch it up mm. so I went into the room and I was just thrashing around writhing around had to manage to get like the monitor on me and luckily it was a telemetry like a wireless one okay so it's this constant monitoring but I was able to move around but honestly I don't know how long I was in that room I was I must have been again like Jack described like a wild animal because she was her face was a bit like I don't know what to do with you and like the gas and air had done nothing for me the president nothing for me and she was like Rhiannon I know this is like not any of it but like I think you should have the epidural because you are I, I like I don't know what to do with you like I don't know how to help you and I was like yeah fine I'm too early I'm too early I didn't say yes fine I said no I'm too early I'm too early I'm only two centimeters only two centimeters and she was like that's okay don't worry about it you know like we'll we'll figure it out it'll be fine like I just think she just didn't know what to do with me and I I think I would probably have maybe suggested the same because mm. I well at yeah. that point what else is there? what else is where else is there to go if you're that if you're yeah, that exactly. uncomfortable I mean yeah I mean it was and it was still the same you know there was still six and ten I think everyone was a bit like what is going on with these weird six and ten contractions like mm. you just don't never see it like that you know the baby was so happy he was coping so well with them it was no drama for him whatsoever he was like yeah anyway so I was like yeah fine have the epidural and I don't remember the needs of this name but I remember his face very vividly now like turns up in my dreams just like is it because because you love them (laughs) yeah so much thank you and he turned up so quick within about 15 even 10 15 minutes had he done another quick examination to just check because I was like I was just so crazy she was like maybe something happened but no I was still two centimeters so let's think about this I'd had a sweep the day before then Ella had done an examination then the doctor had done an examination, then Glory had done one, and this is all within 24 hours. Now I've had another one, so this is five. And I'm in, in my head, I'm like, how many is too many? So I had the epidural and I felt wonderful. I got up because at our hospital, you can have walking epidurals. And I was on my ball, I found the ball, and I was leaning over, legs really wide, just like vibing with it. I remember was being up on the ball. Jack was just sort of like hanging out. My friend Kate then came and sort of set the room up really nicely for me. So she, like, we had, like, the little tea lights, the battery-operated ones, and some really nice music on, and fairy lights up. Just, like, made the room, like, a really nice, like, spa zone. Yeah, so she set up the room beautifully for me. She put the my catheter in for me. Um, what are friends for? <laughs> what, what are friends for if not to put catheters in for you? And then, yeah, it was lovely. Pain-free, on my ball. I'm on the <laughs> monitor. Baby's happy. Can I just ask you about the walking epidural? So is that essentially just a lower dose of epidural so that you can still feel something, but not everything? You can't feel anything. You can't feel the pain. You can move your legs. How do they do that? I don't know. It's patient controlled. So you, the button like lights up every 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and you can top it up or not. So you can do it so that you can start to feel contractions again. Like if you don't top up, then you, it will wear off. Right. But if you do it like once an hour, I mean, it, I mean, it completely depends on like your susceptibility to it. Some people only need it once every like hour and a half and they don't yeah. feel anything great. Some people need it every 15 minutes and they're still feeling it. Yeah. I wasn't pressing it all the time. I felt great. I was just leaving it. I felt fab. I was on the ball, but I started to lose sensation in my legs. So I was starting to get heavy legs. So it was four hours had gone by. And so... It was time for another examination to see where we're at. We're on that timeline now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, okay, Hattie was like, great, you know, let's get on the bed. And But my legs completely buckled. So I had been on the ball for like four hours. And so when I tried to stand up, my I didn't have any um, uh, strength at all. So like they had to, poor Jack and Hattie had to like shuffle <sighs> me on the bed. I thought it was funny. I think they were both a bit like, ah! I was like, lol, this is, <laughs> <laughs> we'll laugh about this one day. <laughs> Hattie was like you've done great you're four centimeters and I was like excellent here we go established labor what is it 2 a.m no it must have been 12 12 ish two I don't know do you know what my ideas for like when things are very Mm. skewed but like between 12 and 2 ish I think so Jack had a nap I just was I was listening into I think I was listening to Harry Potter 
I was loving it. Hattie went on a break. Another midwife came in and looked after me. We were just very chill. The baby was very happy. At one point I like turned over and then I, the heart rate dropped. So we had what we call a de- deceleration. So the heart rate dropped and Hattie had to pull the emergency buzzer because it didn't come back up. <clears throat> and I remember feeling very calm and being like, well, it's just positional. Like I've shifted. So I'll just shift back and the heart rate will come up. And it did. And I remember saying to Jack, Jack, um, in a minute, um, cause Hattie's pulled the buzzer. Quite a few people are going to run in. It's going to be really scary. This was, this was like, I was like midwifing my husband. Yeah. Cause that's what I would do like in an emergency when I was there. I'd be like, lots of people are going to run in. I don't want you to panic. It's just because, you know, like we're seeing baby's heart rate drop, but you know, we're going to do what we can and we'll just have an assessment. So the doctors came in, they all came running in the big buzzer going off. And I was just very calm. Like, don't worry everyone. I just um, rolled over. Yeah. So I, I rolled back and it was just coming back up and I was like, see, all's well. And they sort of did a review at that time. So it was still in the middle of the night on a Friday night. So it was coming onto the weekend. And they were like, oh yeah, you're having a lot of contractions. And I was like, yeah, I know. Six in 10, isn't it weird? And they were like, yeah, it is a bit weird. Have you like, have you, the pestries out? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all me now. This is all my body just doing all these contractions. And they were like, wow, well, let's do another little examination to, um, just see where you're at because you've had this deceleration. Maybe you've progressed loads. No, I was still four centimeters. So I'm now on uh, number seven. I was like, well, it was two hours after my last one. So I wouldn't, you know, like I still got time. But in my head, I was a bit like, hmm, still four centimeters. That's interesting. You'd think that you'd want things to be further mm. along by now. But okay, all right, there's still time. I'll change position. I'll try and sit up a bit more. But by this time, I was just really dead legs and it was really difficult to move. And I was really uncomfortable as well. Like the different positions I was in, I was starting to get back, back pain. And the epidural was just not quite working well anymore. Like it was and it wasn't. And I just felt really uncomfortable. And I couldn't sleep because I get really bad sleep paralysis. Do you know what that is? It's where you sort of semi-wake up in the morning and it feels like someone's sitting on your chest. Okay. Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, so I get that anyway. Okay, so then, that's not not necessarily pregnancy related for you. It's just no. Okay, no. but in the, with the epidural because I was dead legs, it was like exacerbating it. So when I when it happens, I wake up and I can't move my whole body. I'm I'm paralyzed. Mm. So I'm awake and I'm like, I need to move my body now, and I can't move anything. So because the epidural was doing that for me, I like whenever I like drifted off and woke up, I, it just really panicked me. So I couldn't. Sleep. Yeah, that sounds really frightening. Yeah, so um, that was something I never anticipated, was then, out, you know, like some hours later, I was due another examination, and it was coming to the morning, so it was just the one at the ward round, like just before the ward round, so I was I got a new midwife, you know, Hattie did an examination, and she'd done another one, and she said, you're still four centimetres, the problem now, Rhiannon, is the cervix is getting thicker, so before it was really thin, and like, really good, but now it's actually really thick on one side and I was like mm, yeah so it feels like we're going backwards and also I looked at my catheter and there was blood in it and that's a really classic sign of an obstructed labor of like labor not progressing well or something going on with like the bladder being in the way or all of that kind of thing so I was like adding it all up in my head I was like so my cervix hasn't changed and it's actually going backwards and I've got blood in my catheter bag and I was like this labor is not progressing in the way I would expect it to in a way that I want it to and I've already had like eight examinations now Mm. and I was just doing the maths in my head and I was like do I want to carry on with like these obviously not very effective contractions with an epidural that's not quite working well with really dead legs I'm really tired because I've not slept all night and my cervix is not progressing like it's not changing and I, I can't do anything to change that because I can't move I can't stand mm. up and let gravity help and in my head I was like do I want to you know like let's let's play it out so do I get to fully dilated but I can't push because I've got no sensation so I have a instrumental delivery and then maybe a big bleed because you're more likely to have a big bleed after that and then also I've got an infection by now because how long is it going to take me and how many examinations is it going to be until I get to that point? My waters have been broken for over 12 hours. The longer it goes, the more at risk I am, especially in hospital. Like at home, you're in your own bugs, no problem. But now I'm in a mm. hospital environment with multiple examinations. What kind of birth do I want to have? Do I want to have, in my head, it was like one or the other, you know, like I was like, I couldn't see it going my way. I couldn't see it being a good vaginal delivery. So in my head, I was like, if I'm still four centimeters at the next examination, which will be around ward round time, 
with a new staff, new day, then I'm going to request a C-section. Given your knowledge and experience, I imagine that was probably helpful in a way for you to be able because you you know how things go you're not waiting for someone to come in and tell you what the next thing is do you find that that was a blessing or was it in a way difficult because you you were kind of running ahead with what might happen well I think it was a blessing Mm. because I knew what kind of birth I didn't want and I knew how far away it was from the original birth I had planned you know like that Mm. intervention free home birth it couldn't be further away from it as it was so I, in my head, I was like, we'll see what happens at the next one. But if it's the same, then I'm requesting a really relaxed cesarean section because who knows, maybe I'll need one in an emergency and we'll all be rushing and it will be, we were already so far down that path of intervention that it felt like there was like no return for me. And it felt like it was inevitable that it was going to be a kind of birth that, you know I didn't I didn't want to be left traumatized from it Mm -hmm. and I've seen it be traumatic so many times for people who you know like they plan this kind of uh, like this kind of birth and then they have this and then this and then this that cascade of interventions that we talk about and I thought you know like I'm not gonna be able to push this baby out because I've got no sensation so they're gonna have to pull it out of me and I just I don't know I just I just didn't I didn't want it I didn't want that so I in, in my head quite it was like I think sections I think it's going to be section but we'll see what happens at the next one you know miraculously maybe maybe my cervix would have done something wonderful so then um Cathy went home and I said a very fond farewell to Cathy because she'd been out to angel all night and then my friend Ella came back in to look after me um and I was like Ella this is my plan do do the examination and if I'm still four I'm having my section I'm going to tell them at the ward round and she was like do you know what babe I agree like yeah and did it feel good in that moment to have like a real plan of action and you were the one that was driving it again Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. she did examination and I was four the same so I was like actually great because now I've made the decision already in my head I'm you know and I'm quite like that as well like once I've made a decision I'm like yes nothing else matters I'm on my path um you know I can't be tamed I'm doing my own thing here I am this is my decision I'm doing it so I was like brilliant now I know my baby's coming out soon so we waited for the ward round to come and it's like it's so old school you know like they all traipse in you've got the medical students at the back and you've got like the junior doctors and the SHOs and the regs and then you've we didn't have a consultant because it's a Saturday so we had a couple of like senior registrars and they were like hey you know I hadn't met them before I didn't know them but Ella was like this is one of our midwives you know this is the scenario and you know I've just done examination she's still four this is what we've been all night and they were like let's think about what we could do so you know um they were looking at the CTG and they were making sure that baby was happy he was absolutely fine um and they were like oh yeah you know you're having these like you know six sometimes seven intern contractions just by myself and the epidural was wearing off so the nieces came in and gave me a little top up they were like yeah you know but maybe they're not very strong you know like maybe they're just not very effective so we could put up the the syntocin on the synthetic oxytocin and I was like (laughs) absolutely not and they were like oh you know just maybe the contractions I've just you know maybe they're just not working very well and I was like well number one I can feel them all so I can tell you for a fact they're strong and number two you want to further stimulate (laughs) further stimulate a seven and ten a six to seven and ten trace I don't think so I'm going to stop you there no I would like a cesarean section now, please, in labour. And I felt really powerful in that moment because I, I think if I hadn't had all the knowledge that I had, maybe I, I would have said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take the, ox- you know, the synthetic mm. oxytocin. And, and where do, where do you happen. see where do you see that potentially having gone if you had consented to that? I think it would have been emergency section with mm-hmm. um, a distressed baby. Okay. And I couldn't see a good rationale for it. So, and I think quite often, if they don't know what to do, a doctor might say, let's just try it. Yeah. Let's just, let's just try it because, you know, like maybe it will solve this problem. And I'm like, well, you're actually not looking at what the problem is and h- how is it going to help anyway? So I said, no, no, thank you. I don't want that. I would like to have my section now. And they said, okay, all right, we'll just go and like figure out what's going on with the ward, see where we're at and we'll come back. So that's what happened. They came back and then... They were like, let's get you prepped for theatre. So I had my pre-medications and Jack got into his scrubs. And I think, like, I mean, he hasn't really featured in this story very much because he was very much 
in the background for all with it for me like it was sort of like me making a lot of decisions and talking to my friends and like colleagues about it and I think he was just I think he felt very I don't I don't want to say sidelined but he he mm. wasn't like he's shaking his head actually he's in the corner <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome um, to chime in Jack <laughs> <laughs> he's saying no he did feel sidelined but he he just wasn't like front and center if that makes sense yeah he was just sort of like along for the ride and I think he was worried about the section because like you know I planned a home birth and it felt like the opposite of that to him but it really wasn't you know what I really didn't want was like a really traumatic experience and choosing to have a section in labor being it my decision a bit like yours felt very yeah. empowering I was just saying I'm relating to this so hard even if it's the opposite of what you actually planned it's so much better to for it to be an empowered choice than yeah. having it go completely awry out of your hands nothing feels safe nothing feels controlled yeah yeah and like you can't get more informed than a midwife you know yeah right and then my friend Kate came in on her day off she was like I want to come in and you know I want to be your midwife so it was my two busy mates two busy pals BFS um, Kate and Ella and they both looked after me so they took me to theatre it was lovely I felt like this real oxytocin bubble like we were behind the curtain it was me and Jack just sort of like we played music we played uh Casey Musgraves Oh What a World because that was going to be our like birth song it wasn't gonna be our wedding song um and I remember like snippets from like the the experience so like like them prepping me and things like that like I felt a bit loopy because the anesthetist had given me like extra drugs so I felt like a bit like and also it was like suddenly I was having a baby so I felt really like <laughs> and it was like so excited but like really emotional as well so I kept like flipping between like being feeling like crazy and feeling really emotional and like crying and like oof it, it felt like really intense and I remember like feeling a bit high and like I think they shaved me and Kate's gonna um text me and be like if she listens to this and be like lol you know because um <laughs> I remember saying something like talking about my 70s bush nice. um and then having to like shave it and being like yeah just me and my 70s bush man you know like <laughs> peace out because they have to like shave you and like prep you it felt like there were loads of like I said at the time lo- loads of like gnomes running over my body like tiny creatures running around all over me anyway so I felt quite high and then suddenly as if like out of nowhere he was born you know like I I, I don't remember all I remember is like suddenly there there he is and it was um it was just amazing it was oh my gosh I didn't I didn't know it was going to be that I mean what words are there for it I didn't know it was going to be like that to see their face for the first time and I was Mm. like is that him <laughs> he, he's here. He actually is the one that was inside. <laughs> he's here. Um, so Kate took loads of pictures and Ella took loads of pictures as well. So there's a really funny one of like the surgeons like holding him up just outside of the just being like pulled out of the incision mm. with the cord, like all really like fat and purple. Mm. It was actually tied around his foot, interestingly. And he's making this really grumpy face, like, how dare you evict me? And I got like two minutes to clay- delayed cord clamping. So that's great. Yeah. Two, three not minutes, bad for like, a section yeah and then that was because I had my friends who were like delay delay and then they took him to the resuscitator real quick Jack went to look at him they did the vitamin k which I'd already said crack on give it I am and then do a wait and then they brought him back to me and so that took I want to say a minute and 30 seconds mm. and then he was on my chest and then I had skin to skin for like 45 minutes until I started to feel really weird because my blood pressure went a bit funny yeah so it was just we had that skin to skin time and it was lovely it was amazing I loved it and then we went to recovery and you know like all of that kind of thing I had loads of hot cross buns oh that's better than toast I know (laughs) um I brought them with me on purpose I was like we'll have party rings at my birth (laughs) Uh, (laughs) it's a birthday it's a birthday party you have to have party um and they were like slow down please don't get like bowel damage we've had major (laughs) abdominal surgery and I was like scoffing because it was like so he was born like 10 past 10 in the morning so I was like starving Mm. and all of that kind of thing I guess like something I haven't talked about was like I'd been doing a lot of antenatal um colostrum harvesting okay so from around 38 weeks I'd like I was like daily like collecting this colostrum and I got about 100 mils and I wow, don't know that's incredible 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my god! So I remember the like the absolute glory I felt when I filled a one mil syringe. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh. so hundred mil. That is that is you've put in some I hours. Did it for to about that. a month though. It was a month straight of of it. So I reckon you could do it if you did it for that long. Yeah. And I've had I had them all with me. So I was like, I have breastfeeding problems. I've got all of this colostrum ready to go. And I did. I really struggled to breastfeed. I just could not get could not get this baby to latch got really big boobs and my nipples were quite flat and there was just sort of no, no purchase for him you know and then you've got like reduced mobility anyway so it was really hard to like maneuver him on so we just gave him express colostrum and I just carried on doing skin to skin and then apart from that it was quite routine like recovery so I went to the postnatal ward my friends again were looking after me and yeah I was up and about the minute I could I removed the catheter myself you know they call it a twock so I twocked myself um and I was like I've taken my catheter out write it on the board um <laughs> I changed my bedding and then a midwife came and she's like what are you doing you've just had a newborn baby why are you changing your bedding and I was like I know but it's all like I don't like it I need a new one um, <laughs> like going to the cupboard myself and stuff. the worst yeah. patients <laughs> <laughs> um and then Jack couldn't stay with us he had to go home oh so we spent the first night by ourselves but I was in I had a cheeky little side room you know I had some like breastfeeding support like the the breastfeeding support workers came in and like tried to help me latch the baby and he sort of did and he didn't he was just sort of like on and off and he just really wasn't getting on there so I just carried on feeding all of this colostrum that I had so I was never worried because I was like he's gonna have loads because I've got all this colostrum and I'm keeping making it as well so Mm. I got off the hand expressing immediately and was just like express 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 every whenever I could just to like help stimulate that milk production my plan was I'll just hand express until I can get into latch Um, and then you can just have the colostrum and then you know no worries and then so I went home about midday the next day Mm, yeah just over 24 hours and yeah and I suppose that's like the immediate birth story over with I mean I hope I haven't forgotten anything I bet my bet like Ella or Kate would text me being like you forgot this very important major point I'll be like I'm sorry yeah I I think people people who listen to it who who were there have very different it's like the time thing you know like Mike will say to me uh (laughs) that didn't happen then or there was like a two-hour gap then you know things like that no they happened you're talking about yeah yeah (laughs) yeah but funnily enough I did request my maternity notes um and I read through them and actually I feel like I was pretty bang on even though I was somewhere else in my head so you'd kind of you've got home with baby and obviously Mm. you're recovering from surgery and kind of negotiating Mm. uh, expressing and all that kind of stuff so I know I was quite interested to talk about your feeding journey so how how did that go because I know that you have been pumping and really really successfully doing that for a really long time so I'd love to know how that all how that happened and how it all went for you well, it was really important to me to either breastfeed or that Rowan got breast milk. It was mm. like the only thing that I really cared about more than anything else. For some people, they're like, how have my babies fed? No problems. But for yeah. me, I was really like passionate about breast milk for him. And I felt like, like he didn't get the birth that he should have got. So he should at least get breast milk. I just, I really struggled. I've got a lot of like really complex feelings about it and quite a lot of complex feelings about the birth itself as well, you know, like like on one hand being like yeah I did great and on the other hand being like oh I wish I'd done this or that or this or that Mm, the things that you could have done differently so I had lactation I had two lactation consultant appointments one really early on like in the first 10 days I had a lot of like midwives come and like try and help like my friends come around and help and then I had another lactation consultant at like six weeks I was in a lot of pain he never latched well and my nipples were so flat and he just could never get a purchase and when he did latch it was so painful mm-hmm. that I just I really again I like tensed up and panicked I got like the fear um my friend Rose who I met on peanut she had her baby two weeks before me so like we were and she's a midwife too oh wow so we would, I know <sighs> amazing so we just texted constantly like the 2 a.m 4 a.m all the time just being like uh, 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 this 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 you know like um, and we still text like that now um, I think you need that everyone needs someone to be like what is going on and for them to be like I don't know in I the witching hour <laughs> yeah help <laughs> what me is happening? and yeah like we talked about like the fear like the pain of it and like the fear of them latching on like you just wouldn't want to I mean my milk came in and I had loads I had loads of colostrum I had loads of milk when I was expressing 
I just could never get him to latch well enough. Maybe twice I got a good latch. But, you know, like really interestingly, he he wasn't that big. He was only 3.4 kilos. So actually the scan that they did Mm. the day before he was born was off. He was only 3.4 kilos. He was actually covered in vernix. So, yep. And yeah, he had a really high head. And I just wonder whether he was really 42 weeks or whether like, you know, he just never latched very well. So I just, I pumped until, like my plan was always to like pump until I could get him to latch well and like Mm. establish breastfeeding. And I just never established breastfeeding. So I just ended up pumping by default. And it was 100% never the plan, ever, ever, ever. And it was grueling because you have to do it every like three hours-ish. So I, um, it was like 4 a.m., a.m., then midday and then four o'clock in the afternoon and then 7 8 p.m and then midnight and then 4 a.m again you don't you like you can't get a break because you're trying to maintain that supply and it's not the same as responsive breastfeeding because like it works in a different way like it's very mechanical and you have to try and get and it's very like complicated as well because like you've got to get the right flange size if you get it wrong then you cause your nipple damage so like it's either too big or too small and it hurts and you have to pump for like 15 to 20 minutes per session everything's got to be sterilized daily washed out you're like looking at like breast milk storage yeah it was it was really grueling and I always thought you know oh until I can establish breastfeeding but I just I never could establish it and I tried but I do wonder if I could have tried harder but then I'm like but you were trying so hard to pump like do you Mm. know like I've got a lot of compassion for the me of like one month three weeks postpartum but Mm. you know there's also the little bit of me that's like why didn't you just try that a little bit harder why didn't you just try again I just didn't and I think maybe because pumping worked so well and I was getting so much it was just such an effective way of giving him breast milk that it was like it was just like a different option I guess it was just like a a way that worked for me and I'm I was I'm so um, grateful because I got this massive oversupply so very quickly I was making double what he needed wow so I was filling up my freezer and yeah I think the last time I ever got him to latch was with the lactation consultant at the six week mark where I was like I'm just going to give it one last go and after this I'm just going to sack it I'm just going to sack it in and just carry on pumping you know like I'll give it one last go and so I had this lovely lactation consultant come over and um, we got him to latch, you know, it was no problem. I got him to latch on both sides. But it was almost like I needed like a uh like a cheerleader mm. to like talk me through it. Because after that she went she went home. She was there for like an hour and she was like, you know, like I think you're doing like you you're doing great. You latched him well. He's got no problems. He hasn't got a tongue tie. He's got great mobility, uh, motility of the tongue. You know, like he latches great. You've got great positioning. You're really natural with it. Like you've done fab. Just carry on. I just could never get a latch after that. Anyway, so I just carried on pumping, and then I carried on pumping. I just have like mad respect for that because <laughs> I I tried pumping for a bit purely just to kind of. I wanted a little bit in the freezer, you know, just in case, you know, whatever the situation was. And, oh man, it just, it's really hardcore. It's, I never really truly understood actually, well, firstly the admin, like, oh, my God. oh so much admin, but also like you said, it works in a different way. Your body's not responding to that kind of the baby stimulating mm. you. It's like you said, it's very mechanical. And, and then, there's the actual logistical thing of well where's my you know what am I doing with my baby like while I'm doing this because it's mm-hmm. it's logistical so yeah. yeah I just can't yeah I I'm properly properly respect how yeah. how hard that must have been but like it was obviously very important to you yeah it wasn't hard I mean it is hard and I hate it I, <laughs> I hate it, it. <laughs> I do I hate it every night I'm like I hate pumping and Jack's like yeah I know should I just go and get it and I'm like yeah <laughs> It's really interesting because you can talk about like, like you can condition letdowns. So I conditioned it to Gilmore Girls. So I would put Gilmore Girls on, I have my pumps in and I would get loads because wow. you do like hands on it, hands on like compressions as well. There's me just doing this and I've got Gilmore Girls on and my body's like, haha, a time for a letdown. Let's go. But yeah, I had hands-free pumps. So I took them on holiday with me. We went on holiday when he was about three months old. I pumped all the time in the car. Um, going to stay with family just take my pumps with me ready to go I started noticing I don't know how long it was maybe six weeks 
I started noticing like a real intense really intense like feeling of doom that would wash over me and I was like oh I wonder if I'm getting a bit like postnatal anxiety because it felt like the world would be ending like I'd be standing like in my kitchen making a cup of tea and suddenly I'd be like oh my god 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 I feel sick I feel really anxious it would be like a physical sensation that would wash over me like something Mm. bad is immediately going to happen and then it would go away and I'd be like oh that was weird it would happen like multiple times a day and I'm like my god I'm not well I'm obviously really you know not doing good so I ran the doctor and he was like take some sertraline and I was like yeah okay fine I didn't really want to and it didn't feel right but I took it anyway for maybe three weeks and then just by chance I came across like an Instagram post from LMJ and for feeding support shout yep. out to you yeah love her and she was talking about dysphoric milk ejection reflex and I was like oh my god that's it this is exactly what I'm having so it's something like 30 seconds before a letdown and your body like drops dopamine really, really quick. And you, some women experience it as like feeling of sick, no, like nausea, feeling really scared, feeling really weepy. Some people like cry and it's like a, re- it's, it's like a hormone drop that immediately corrects just before you have a letdown. And I can always tell when I have a letdown because it feels like electric to me. Like I feel like burning electric and it quite, it's quite painful, quite uncomfortable. And then I leak. So yeah, it was always 30 seconds before I let down and I started realizing that they were connected. So I was like, I'm not unwell. It's just like a hormone thing to do with my letdown. And the minute I knew that, I, well, I didn't take the tablets anymore. I was like, well, I don't need these because they, they actually don't, they can't affect my hormones like that. They, they're yeah. not like dopamine. So it's not gonna, they're not helping me. And it just made it a lot more manageable because I understood it. And I literally never heard of this thing before. And I'm like, how can I be a midwife? I never have heard of this thing. It's quite common. Yeah. There's quite a lot of people. Well, I hadn't no, I hadn't heard of it until you mentioned it. And obviously, you yeah. know, you know, it makes logical sense, doesn't it? With if we everything about the breastfeeding response is hormonally driven. So of course, if you have a massive plummet, for some people that's gonna be a big mm. reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get them anymore. Um, I think Okay, I was gonna life, say, did that did that last very long for you? Oh, quite a long time maybe six months you know okay. um and it just got less and less as time went on I don't really have letdowns anymore I only I only pump twice a day now but I was just so privileged to be able to make so much you know like a lot of people don't make much when they pump at all it's not because they've got not got the milk there it's just because their body doesn't respond to the pump in the in a way that their body would would respond to a baby so yeah I was I filled my freezer entirely um I tried to donate it to the milk bank but they didn't they couldn't have it I tried lots of different ones and they they said no I think it was COVID times and okay a few different things and then so I went on Facebook and I found human milk for human babies yay I hear so many great things about that (laughs) oh my gosh I love it so I was like hi guys um I make all this milk. I've filled my freezer and now I've got an excess. Is there anyone who wants it? Number one right now, because I don't know what to do with it all. And number two, who wants to set up like a, a continued relationship? And then this woman got in touch. She was like, I don't live very far from you, about a 20 minute drive. My baby's not very well and I don't make enough, you know? And I was like, cracking, here we go. So every two weeks I'd text her and I'd say, I've got a little milk delivery for you. And they would come and pick it up. And then, so yeah, I did that for maybe three months maybe longer and yeah I love that that was great I felt like a wet nurse you know like a modern day wet nurse I just think that's just bloody great it's just great and the fact that it was a continuing thing as well is really lovely it felt like um like a big like middle finger up to like capitalism yes in a way like I don't know if I could we can connect it like that but you know what I mean it's just like two human beings like connecting it's like this child needs milk I've got milk so I'm going to give it to them. Yeah. And it, it just felt very like, um, I don't know, like real basic humanity. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And everything that we've been sort of sold the idea of, oh, you shouldn't do that because you can just buy this thing. Yeah. And actually yeah. it's just so, so yeah, it's basic. It's humanity. It's yeah. natural. It's great. Yeah. Amazing. Really? I saw the other day that you'd done one year of pumping. Yeah. That's incredible. I know I never really had a goal in mind. I just yeah. always was like, oh, I'll just carry on until it doesn't make sense mm. to me anymore. Um, and I'm just going to carry on now until it doesn't Amazing. make sense. But it still does. I like it. Yeah. I'm going to hate it. I absolutely hate it. You, lo- you love hate it. I do love hate it. Yeah, okay. definitely. Um, and I think it's a really interesting different option that a lot of people don't realise is there. So mm. it's like you either breastfeed or you form your feet, right? But mm. there's actually like this other way. 
And if anyone is taking anything away from it, you know, like antenatal hand expressing is you're going to be your best friend if you possibly can. And getting to know your boobs, express, 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 express. Mm. Well, that was going to be kind of my wrapping up question for you is whether you had any kind of really, I'm sure you've got millions, but bits of advice or top resources if you were going to, if you met somebody who was, you know, maybe facing the same kind of breastfeeding challenges or, or maybe just somebody whose labor hasn't gone the way that they expected. I don't don't know. Any kind of top, top tips from you for somebody? Yeah. Reflections, advice, tips for anyone listening. I don't know if I have, I don't have any advice or tips like that, but I do. I read um, why breastfeeding grief and trauma matter when I was like quite early on and I was like with the breastfeeding journey that hadn't worked out and it really helped me because it was talking about if you're feeling guilty especially as a mother or a parent if you're feeling guilty if you just scratch it a little bit what you're probably feeling is grief Mm. for an experience that you couldn't have or didn't have so if you're feeling guilty that you're not breastfeeding your baby you know I would be like he deserves to suckle at my nipple I've taken something away from him I didn't try hard enough you know I've taken something away from him that he deserves. And, you know, I was feeling guilty, but I wasn't, I was, I was feeling guilty. But if I get deeper with that, I was actually feeling grief yeah. for the breastfeeding experience that I didn't have. Yeah. And then you also feel guilty, like, oh, if I hadn't had that induction, then I wouldn't have had the C-section, you know, like I shouldn't have done it. I feel so bad. Am I really feeling guilty or am I actually feeling grief for the birth experience I thought I was going to have? Yeah. That's such a, such a good way to reframe those feelings. And I think that I could do with some of that sometimes as well. Mm. It doesn't have to be about that. It can be about anything. If you're feeling guilty about something, can you take it deeper? Mm. Are you actually feeling, are you frustrated? Are you angry? Are you grieving? Mm. Yeah. Oh, that is such an amazing thing to end on, honestly. I really hope that you enjoyed listening to Rhiannon's birth story. Rhiannon mentioned that she had got some information from LMJ Infant Feeding Support on Instagram. This page is run by Lucy Weber and she's an international board certified lactation consultant. She and other IBCLCs offer some really accessible free advice online, places like Instagram and Facebook. So I'd highly recommend following a few people during pregnancy and in those early months of feeding, however your baby gets their milk. Well, we are now at the end of season one. I hope you have enjoyed listening to these incredible birth stories. I just want to say a huge mega thank you to everyone who has shared their story on this platform. Sometimes it's not an easy conversation to have and I feel so honoured that people have felt safe enough to share their stories with me. Also want to say a big thank you to anyone who has shared about the podcast, talked about the podcast with their friends or submitted their story for future seasons. I honestly cannot wait to see where this goes but for now I'm really excited to start on season two which is already looking pretty chock-a-block. Please do subscribe to the show and make sure you follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook under The Real Birth Podcast so you'll be the first to know when the next season comes along. That's all from me for a little while. Keep being amazing and I will see you very soon. Bye.